This episode brought to you by BRE Promotions. Whether you're just starting out or evolving your brand, BRE Promotions offers you expertly crafted disruptions that'll take you to the next level. BRE Promotions, we make your business shine. Visit us at brepromotions.com to schedule your free consultation. No, Bob Boomy. Hi, this is Tom Conway, ufologist and paranormal investigator. You are listening to Novobumi, where we explore deep within the Goblin universe with your host, Brian Bowden. Hello, ghouls, goblins, friends, family, and guests. Welcome to another edition of Novo Boomi. We're going to explore deep inside the Goblin universe with myself, Brian Bowden, and our special guest. And I want to get right to it. It's a long and great and wonderful show. He is a premier researcher of the paranormal and UFOlogy for New York State and actually within North America. He's got uh, several books out and an incredible map we're going to be discussing in a few moments. I'd like to welcome to the show. Tom Conwell. Tom, welcome to Novo Boomi. How are you tonight? I'm doing great, Brian. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I mean, we did meet us at the, at the New Jersey Paracon, uh, I think in Woodbridge, uh, early this summer. I've been trying to get you on the, the program and um, touch base, but I'm glad we finally touched base. You're on the program, and I think it's going to be a fantastic night. I'm looking forward to it. I hope so. <laughs> so um, I know about what you do in the world of the paranormal and, and UFOlogy, uh, but since some of our, our listeners may not understand who you are and, and what your significance is um, in, in this field, can you please give us a brief background of how you got started in this crazy paranormal world? Okay, well, let me give you a little bit of background of uh, who I am and uh, why... Um, uh, the uh, paranormal fit in with, with what I was doing. Um, I've been an electronic technician um, with the Navy uh, and Honeywell at it together for 42 years. Um, and during that time, I was working in uh, temperature control, security software, um, as a biomedical engineer, a fire alarm, and I also worked as a metrologist, which is a science of measurement. So I have a, like a pretty good background in electronics. And um, then, um, you know, after 42 years, I retired and I was looking for something to do. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I had a whole lot of interest in uh, the paranormal shows. And with a background in electronics and um, in um, uh, waveform uh, generation, uh, I thought that I would uh, fit right in with the paranormal. From what I was seeing on TV, it looked like uh, it looked like it was something that uh, that a lot of teams could use. So I jumped into the paranormal and had a whole heck of a lot of fun doing it. Um, and then um, I had an opportunity within this paranormal team to um, become a ufologist. Well, I've always wanted to work in ufology always 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 and um and uh i thought uh, from an early age uh probably eight or nine 
that uh, we weren't alone in the universe. And I had that opportunity, and I jumped at it. Well, there's a lot of things I had to do in order to uh, create some credibility, because I had to do some research, for one thing. Right. And um, that research involved uh, uh, looking at UFO sightings. Now, everybody looks at UFO sightings if you're a ufologist. <laughs> I wanted to try to make myself a little bit different. So um, I started out with uh, New York State, and I took the um, thought of ufology and created a sighting map of the things that I had seen in the sky. And uh, one of those was a fireball, just an orange ball of right. fire, actually. And um, I made a, a map within New York State of where all the fireballs were seen since, and I had to cut it off somewhere. Um, so I, I went back to about 2011, because right in that 2011, 2012 time frame, um, there, was, um, there was a spike in fireball sightings. So I wanted to look at that point on and see if there was, see if there was something unusual. Uh, it was a telling me something. Um, and I saw immediately, as soon as I put this New York State map together, that um, water had a great deal to do with the types of sightings and where they were being located. Also notice that the Atlantic Ocean was a real big attractor, apparently, for these things. And people who lived right along the ocean were seeing them by the hundreds. That, you know, that's very interesting, and we're definitely going to get into the map. I like the fact that you've, you've had this notion since you were a kid um, that there's life in the universe. Um, I, I know that my interest as well started when I was a kid, around six years old, and it actually started with uh, monster movies. Um, I remember watching, getting up early and watching the... Um, you know, Abbott and Costello beat Dracula and the Wolfman, and you know those things are fascinating. And then on top of that, my generation, you growing up in the '70s, um, you know we had that show In Search of, and we had Kolchak. I mean, this thing was just fantastic type of like sci-fi slash you know monsters, aliens, and and what have you. Um, so I've always looked to the stars or looked up in the sky, and I said, "Are we the only ones here?" I don't think so. I don't know how you know it, but uh, may I ask you, did you just have a gut feeling that we're not alone? Well, initially I did. Um, and um, uh, I had the opportunity to um, go to college and also to study astronomy. Uh, my aunt was the uh, Astronomical Association of America's um, uh, treasure, uh, uh, secretary. Wow. And I went with her to an awful lot of conferences and learned a lot about astronomy. That, that's, a, that's a great resource as someone who's interested in the stars and astronomy to have those, those individuals and, and the minds there to, to, you know, to pick almost. Did they treat you well while you were there? Because, I mean, sometimes when you get to that, the, some of the uber scientists, they kind of like, oh, go away, kid. But did they take you under their wing? Uh, yeah, they did. Oh, uh, awesome. uh, because my aunt was uh, well up into that organization, she kept bringing me to, to areas and, 
and say, sit down and listen. You might learn something. <laughs> and uh, um, the uh, people there um, uh, knew her and um, just treated me like uh, one, one of the guys. So I learned a lot. I really did. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, when you must have been, it must have been in awe when they did the, uh, the, 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 rocket launches the apollo and when that was taking place that must have just added a bit more to the fever of 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 space and the possibilities in astronomy i mean well, yeah it, it it added for me but i was long past um right. the that i was with the astronomers at that point <laughs> because I, i'm a whole lot older than you and uh, i was already graduated from from uh, uh schools and um, in the in the military, and started work with Honeywell. So, I was well on my way at that point. Right. I mean, and and I love the fact that you were on your way, and you were doing things well in advance of a lot of other groups doing them, um, even independently. Your research, you know, I, I and and you know, majoring or, or or taking a lot of astronomy classes. I I always loved it. I took them myself. I was actually going to school for engineering at one point. Um, and I, I, I was thinking about physics, uh, and then I was thinking to myself, well, how am I going to make money with this? Um, so, and every, every relative said, you know, why don't you think of something you can make money with? Because um, they didn't think like, it's almost like majoring in a dead language. But what I loved, and, and I found it humorous, is when we went into the astronomy classes, it's not about looking at stars. It's astrophysics. So, you know, you, you, it's a lot of math, and it's a lot of uh, physics and, and quantifying, and all those romantics that went in there quickly dropped out. Um, but that's always piqued my interest. The fact that you went from there. Now, may I ask, were, did you just join the military, or were you drafted into it, and then they assigned you to different uh, areas based off of your educational background? No, um, I actually joined. Um, I joined the Navy. Uh, my brother was in the Navy at the time, and my thought initially was to um, uh, get brother duty so he and I could hang out together. That's, right. that's what I wanted. It's always good to have a partner in, in, yeah, in, yeah. in the military there. But um, That didn't work out, uh, <laughs> and I ended up on my own electronics path, and uh, they gave me a tremendous amount of school and it set me up for the rest of my life. You, you know, I mean, most people don't realize how much uh, a military background, uh, men and women that are coming out of our service, armed services, not only giving their lives to it, but they're getting something from it as well. And it's a valued education on things that most people, even, even going through a university level, aren't going to get. Um, so you're now working, you're working with uh, equipment and, and, and science and technology that is military grade, and then that transferred to, to Honeywell, right, for the most part? Yes. Um, uh, I, as soon as I left the Navy, um, which was six years, um, Honeywell grabbed me up immediately. Yep. Um, uh, I never went without a week of work. And um, I just joined Honeywell and went right into the same kind of um, science of measurement work that I was doing in the military. Right, and this is important for all our listeners out there. What I'm trying to get to here is I'm not trying to drag out a whole military story and about, you know, <laughs> oh, what, what's this all about? There's a method to my madness, and the method is the fact that, Tom, you've been trained to look at things and look at measurements and systems and stuff 
that laymen aren't trained in. A lot of the people that first started out with this search for extraterrestrial life, UFOs, or even in the paranormal, don't have the, the education and the foundation that you have. You are, and I'm, I'm not stroking, I'm just telling you, you're far superior coming out of the gate than most people. Um, most people that are in the science realm and that have something that doing military-based work uh, wouldn't even entertain this. My uncle, uh, nuclear physicist, military, he, you know, he just like he thinks you're crazy about UFOs. Um, but what the fact is, I'm putting in the basis here. Here's the foundation, everybody. Tom is well-equipped, if not more equipped than most people, to really investigate this on a a, a scientific level as well as a speculative level and this is what I'm trying to get to um, so after this when when you were in the military or grow you know growing up did you actually see anything unusual in your time of service that never maybe pe never okay. never so not a thing even though I knew that uh, that um, UFOs were uh, visitors from from another world um, I, I just knew it. I, yeah. No, I was just because some people uh, that are, are in the military, they have these experiences. They, they see these orange orbs and globes. And, and in battlefields, uh, the Foo Fighters of World War, uh, World War II and, and so forth. So I was just wondering if that was the trigger. But now, how long after your service... And when you're out and you're back to the, the, the civilian world... Um, when was when was your first experience with a craft? Now you're believing in these things, and we're not from you know we're not the only ones here. When was your first experience, and what was your first craft experience or UFO, if you would? And it could be I, a USO, actually. Yeah, you, you're gonna love this. Okay. I, <laughs> I went through Honeywell 36 years, and of course six years in the Navy, and I retired, and I still hadn't seen a thing. No way. Yep, not a thing. I, and I was looking too. I just hadn't seen a thing. That's kind of bizarre, actually. I, I mean, know. statistically, I don't think that's possible now. <laughs> you'd, you'd think, um, but uh, when I became a paranormal specialist, um, uh, I think I became a whole lot more open. I right. was very scientific, scientifically minded, and. If something didn't make sense to me, I was trying to figure it out, and that was that was the truth um, that applied to me, even during um, the first maybe year that I was a paranormal investigator. The first thing that happened to me is um, I saw a ghost. Ah. I couldn't I couldn't put it into perspective. I mean, I I just had no words to express what I had seen. Right. As soon as that happened to me, all of a sudden, it's like the doors flung open and there was light coming in from all kinds of angles. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really... Yeah. Um, and then, um, shortly afterward, I became a ufologist. And um, uh, after that point, um, I still hadn't seen a UFO uh for about two years into into my time with ufology, I right. was doing I was doing um, uh, abduction interviews. 
you doing? Oh, so, so you were act? Were you you were actually interviewing people who have been abducted? Yes. That is fantastic um, because a lot of people. I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt, but a lot of people they just take a resource. They'll go to a resource, uh, you know, like uh, MUFON or or what's a knife fork, and they'll just like oh abduction, but they don't get off the couch or get out of the house to actually go there and start interviewing people. Yeah, uh, people came to me. I didn't go seeking this. Um, I told people I was a ufologist, and I started writing a blog um, about um, about uh, the physics of of the UFO craft and what kind of problems we would have to solve in order to do the same things that they're doing. So I was, I was kind of looking at it from a slightly different angle, and. Um, uh, the people started coming out of the woodwork saying, uh, I know that I was abducted. Um, can you talk to me? You uh, know? That, you know, that's a rarity, actually. Well, you know, I guess you, you, you put in your credentials when you did that, the physics behind the, the objects, um, because I don't think anybody was ever doing that. And I remember seeing, um, I don't remember the name of your blog. Is it still available? Um, actually, it is available, but it's all in a book form now. Okay, and let's get let's get the title of the book, and we'll also post it on our website and our Facebook page. So you know, get you some uh, uh, customers. <laughs> okay, um, that book is entitled uh, "Going Interstellar?" Question mark. Great, and we'll, we're, we're going to post that on InsideTheGoblinUniverse.com, um, uh, NobleBoomy.com, and NobleBoomy and Inside the Goblin Universe Facebook pages, and also on our group. Uh, we do have a a, a, um, a a couple different groups, but the primary group. If, is inside the Goblin Universe, and we also have a group called uh, for UFO based, uh, the UFO Roundtable, and uh, there's a lot of discussion there. So it'll be posted everywhere, so everybody can kind of go get the, the copy of that book. And I think if you, and we'll also post some information later on, Tom, if uh, if you if they actually if they can purchase it through you, I'm sure you could probably personalize it for them, which is always yep. a great treat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a I have a, uh, a web page, and uh, you know I'll get you that address. Yep, we'll get to that, and we're going to get yep. you promotions because. We, we love, I'm all about, you know, helping out and I want people to promote their, 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 their hard-earned, uh, you know, time and energy and what they put out there. And I know our listeners are definitely going to take an interest in this. And there's nothing like having a book signed by the author. I'll just tell you that straight up. Um, and, but what I loved about it was the physics behind it. And this started basically because of your paranormal work. Now, is your paranormal group still in existence? And yes. are you still part with it? Or are you still doing research with it? Uh, I am. I backed away a little bit, um, only because I'm so darn busy with what I'm doing. Um, right. But I did, I did back away from the, um, the uh, nighttime investigations. Last year I got very sick, and I, I'm, I swore that I was, wasn't going to burn the candle at both ends anymore. Good, good answer. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. what it's like. It's really difficult. Uh, um, just, I'm, I'm a dad and, and a husband, and, and you know, trying to make ends meet, and to add a paranormal on top of that, uh, I have to. I, I had to change my own ways and and pick my time between the radio show I'm doing and and, and the paranormal and whatever. I get the look from the misses, and I'm like, okay, I got it. I'll I'll I'll, I'll prioritize. But what I liked about it is your science background. Um, you get this ghost, and it kind of throws you for a loop because it, 
uh, if I'm correct, and it's almost like the accountant background. One plus one is two, and there's no other way around it, although there's creative accounting. Um, with you being a scientist, it's like, no, that, that can't be possible. So then you start asking questions, and then that leads you into what we like to call the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I had time after I saw this. I, I saw this at the very beginning of an investigation, and I was by myself uh, talking to the owner of the home. And um, I saw this guy walk by my field of vision uh, behind the lady I was speaking with. And um, then she said something about, um, uh, did you see my husband leave before? I said, yeah. And she said, um, well, now, now it's just myself and my girlfriend. And uh, we'll be hanging out during your paranormal investigation. I said, well, who was that other guy then? <laughs> she said, uh, that's why you're here. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, it really does take you by surprise. Um, I'm, still, I'm still enamored by when I catch an EVP or we have an apparition. It's still, it, there's a thrill to it because common logic says it's not possible uh, or the, the current you know, state of flux, but it is possible. And I think we need to start digging deeper and it's not just cut and dry and that's why i think you like it and i and i like this this field that there there are answers to be had and we have to go investigate it so it's always good the reason why, again i'm putting more into this background where you, you you're transforming from the you know that military no one plus one is two you listen to orders and whatever to oh my god i just saw a ghost and now we're getting to ufos um because this is out of this world you know the, the apparitions are within the world for the most part, um, and then now we're getting to the out of the world. When was, so, so when your first experience with a UFO or a sighting of it, what kind of UFO or object was it? When and where, roughly? Okay. Um, when it was uh, May of 2013, and where was right outside my front door, and uh, there were... Um, there were fireballs, Ooh. and um, they. Uh, my my wife saw them because she was sitting in the back in in, in the front room, looking out in, in the direction that they were coming from, and she yelled to me to go out back. So I ran out back and looked up and saw these two things. And I thought, what the heck's that? I've never seen anything <laughs> like that before. And um, we have an intercom, and I had the phone in my hand. Right. And. And my wife got on the intercom and said, here comes two more. I went, no. <laughs> went flying through the house and I went out the front door and uh, grabbed a pair of field glasses on the way through. And I had an opportunity to sit and watch what they were doing. Well, these fireballs were, um, if you hold your arm out at arm's length, they were about the size of your thumbnail, which is about the size of the moon, I suppose. Right. Okay, and um, they were bright, brilliant orange, and they looked like a roiling ball of fire. That was weird, just really weird. Um, well, two more came through, and I watched these two, and they um, were coming from exactly the same direction, at least so it seemed, and then they made a maneuver and angled upward, and disappeared out behind some clouds. Well, I thought, well, okay, fine. Uh, that's definitely something under control. But here, here's my mind going, 
what the heck am I seeing? Am I seeing ball lightning? Am right. I, you know, I had no idea. Well, I waited and waited, and bingo, here comes some more. Wow. Two more. Um, and the, they came through the sky from the same angle, went to the same spot in the sky, made the same maneuver, angled upward, and disappeared behind clouds. Well, now, then I got interested in, Right. this is unusual here. Why are they all doing precisely the same thing in precisely the same way? Where are they coming from? Because all of a sudden I see them in the sky and I don't know where they're coming from. So then I started honing in to the north where they were coming from. And um, uh, there's another group of two that came through. Um, and I had it within a very, very small area of the sky where they're coming from. And I, I watched these two, and I did notice that in looking at the at the fire that was consuming this fireball, at least it looked like fire, it reminded me of a digital flame. A digital flame. Um. In other words, not, not fire, but something that was sort of looked like a fake... That oh, kind of like those, um, the old, when they used to do like uh, those lights that we used to have way back when, before LEDs, where it kind of made it look like it was flickering, like a candle that was like on fire, like um, like a candle flame? Yeah, but this, this was done really well. <laughs> <laughs> this was really well. But um, they, they actually looked like they were made electronically and not just a fire. You know how a fire is like really random? Right. This almost like had a repeating pattern to it. That's why I thought it was digital. It was, it was created, right? Right. But anyhow, I, I watched this thing do the same thing in the air at the same spot, um, disappear up behind the clouds, and then I got really interested. I looked to the north exactly where these things were coming from, and um, I said to myself, I am not blinking <laughs> until I see these things come through again. Yep. Okay? And I'm just staring at the sky, and all of a sudden, pop, pop, they just popped on. So, so, so it just appeared? It was it as, as just a... appeared from a black sky. Just pop, pop on, on their way. And they didn't come on at exactly the same instant. They came on about half a second from each other. So, so taking this into consideration, and, and talking about uh, visual wavelengths and you know there's, there's this whole electronic wavelength here and I'm going to get into a, a theory okay and it's not conspiracy um, do you think that something maybe these craft whatever they may be and we'll get into that too whether they were uh, alien or under control by whomever let's say the powers that be do you think that these entered into that airspace via a portal, um, kind of like a portal opened up, and that's how they were coming in. No, 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 because I saw a portal open and something go through it, and this was not that. Now, when you saw the portal open, was this prior to this UFO experience? Oh no, no, no! This was this was the third thing that I had seen in here. 
Oh, okay, okay. So you've actually saw something open almost like a portal, something come in, and then this was just different. It just appeared. Yes. Okay. Because that, 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 that gets things a little bit, um, it changes things up. Because some of the theories out there regarding um, uh, these aliens or this travel is, some people say they're extraterrestrials coming from outside our galaxy or from a different point in the galaxy or other galaxies and they're opening up uh, portals to, to circumvent the distance and they have yeah, the ability now, to do that. Yeah, now, now that might be how they get here initially. Right. What I saw was just going from disappeared to appeared. Now that gets into cloaking and changing wavelengths and just appearing at that moment. For what reason, I don't know. Because usually... When we're talking about aliens, and I've, I've found through my research that these, if we're going to take extraterrestrials or, or wherever these, these intelligently driven craft and, and, and entities are, I think they're doing a really good job of keeping themselves hidden, and they do this purposely. I think it may be for study purposes of, of human race and what's going on here or whatever. You know, maybe there is a directive. I don't subscribe to the Galactic Federation whatsoever I, I i'm sorry i just um i don't think that there's a big table there where they're saying okay well we'll go to earth and who wants chinese and who wants pizza i don't think they do that um however i think there is possibly certain protocols based off of some of these races where they don't interrupt with what's really technically going on they're there as an observation for us so that's why they would they could just appear and disappear or keep hidden so these just appeared and they started flying in almost like a pattern. Would, I, would this be like a military-based pattern? Yes, it was an echelon, yeah. Okay, so taking that consideration, and I know we're going a little bit all over, but do you think that given the year, the time of year it is, and when you're seeing this, the year it's, you're seeing this, and the current state of the fact that I thoroughly believe, and I don't know about you, but the military technology is... Um, possibly over 100 years advanced than what we really have, and they've kept it secret that long. Do you think this could be um, drones? Well, okay. Um, let, me, let me tell you, yes, I believe they, they were drones. Okay. Well, the, However, what, I'm, yeah, not, go ahead. I'm not convinced that they were U.S. military drones. Right. That's, that's where, see, that's where we get into the, again, back into the gray area. Um, yep. and, and you, better than that, not saying U.S. military drones. Do you think they were from within our planet drones? Or do you actually feel that they were way too advanced for us to have anything? I mean, even using the farthest reaches of our minds and, and, and wildest dreams, they were actually controlled by um, forces or extraterrestrials outside. Now, when I say extraterrestrials, I'm assuming... And I'm making an assumption there from, from research alone, there are a variety of different races that are out there apparently. And they have technology and drones and, and I'm sure they have these satellites that are going there. Do you think it's more that or something within our planet based? Like humanistic. Okay. Um, I believe that what I saw was most likely from um, a different civilization. Um, and I believe that what they were doing, um, well, I've come to believe recently that what I think they were doing is they're mapping. Nice. Like, like a light, LIDAR? Or something. Yeah, they're, 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 they're flying these repetitive patterns. 
and uh, they of course have technology that we can only dream of yep. and um, they are scanning for who knows what. And, and I like that who knows what because it could be anything. Uh, they sure. could be ge uh, using geological surveys and maps. They could yep. be they could be mapping weather weather patterns that which have changed over time. They could also be, I mean, you know, who knows what is great because there's there's mineral bases in in areas, uh, magnetic fields. There's also different types of animals, and you know, so we don't know. But I like I I, I understand that I agree with you wholeheartedly that something like this possibly is extraterrestrial. I don't always believe, um, you know, everything is extraterrestrial, mind you, but uh, I'm, at the, I'm at the point where there are a lot, I, I personally feel there are a lot more drones being used as a deceptive purpose by military, not necessarily the U.S., but globally, throughout whoever the powerful nations are, um, to just keep us on our toes or, or off our toes. But it must have been a fascinating, uh, I mean, I can just imagine what this experience was. And, and just curious, how, is, how does your wife respond to this interest? And is she with you on this or does she think you crazy? Oh, no. Um, she saw them too and has seen them one other time when I didn't and has told me all about it. So she's on board with everything. Oh yeah, no, I, I mean, we—I had an experience when before she was my wife. She was my girlfriend, and this was up in the um, the north uh, western portion of Connecticut, Route Eight, uh, roughly about 9:40 p.m. a uh, bunch of years back in the 90s, and we had a extremely large craft, uh, probably about the size of a giant stadium, actually, uh, fly over our car. And I was yeah. doing 65 miles an hour. And to this day, when I asked my wife, she goes, it was a balloon. And I'm like, it wasn't a balloon. She was hanging outside the moonroof. And it was, it was, I've got the term of, of, there's a blacker than black. It's a specific term um, that they use. It's, it's so black. It's, it, it's, a, it's an incredible color, actually. Um, that's what this color was. And you could see where this craft ended and where the stars began. And if I tell you where this took place, you could probably see for about 40 miles in each direction. That's how big this, this little valley area was. Um, it was large. And yeah. within a split, split second, we're, we're, I'm enamored at this thing. I, and I'm a believer. And I'm saying in my head, like, stuff the car, Brian. Stuff the car, Brian. And I didn't until I noticed this other car coming on. It was one of those July 4th weekends where no one was on the road. They were either at their parties or not, so it was very quiet. Um, and I finally got a car coming at us on the other end of the highway, and it caught my attention for a split second. Uh, it passed. It stopped. The craft was gone. We both looked at it. I jammed on the brakes in the middle of this highway and literally got out, and something, I kid you not, the size of Giant Stadium was gone and was nowhere to be found. So it was that was incredible. But why I asked about the, your 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 wife is it makes it sometimes difficult to believe in these things and research this when you have the ridicule of your loved ones twenty four seven. But I'm yeah. glad your wife wasn't like that. Um, yeah, um, I, I I understand what you're saying. As a matter of fact, I'm familiar with that area on um, Route Eight in Connecticut. Yep, uh, and it, it gets really dark there. Yes, yes, it does. Yeah. And, I mean, I've, I know it because uh, I spent 
many a summer up there in, in the northern part in Winstead, Connecticut. Um, yep. And so I know this road cold. I mean, I literally could do it without lights on the car. It does freak people out. It's that the, the moonlight and, the, and the, the brightness of of the night sky, actually, you can drive without your lights on. I don't recommend it, people. But I know the area, and I know how vast it is, and I know that the light pollution isn't severe. Uh, and when you see an object this size, I, I wish... I wish I can go back. I never reported it to any agency, but I've actually looked it up several different times, seeing if someone would report something around there. Something similar has been reported. Um, I have yet to be able to go up and investigate because of you know my personal life and you know life taking precedent. But um, you know, so now that you have this craft there, and you're, I mean, what questions are flying through your head at this point? Okay. Um, well. Um what I wanted to know is where else are they being seen? That was a number one question. I said, if I just saw this, and I know that a lot of people around this town just saw this, um, are they being seen across the United States, or is it just here? That's what got me into the uh, National UFO Reporting Center database, and I started looking at sighting reports. Wondering where they were, what people were seeing, and why. Right. Uh, and did you start with your area first, your immediate home base, and then work your way outward? Or did you just go like, like, like one by one, like, okay, this is Utica. Boom. This is so-and-so. Well, no. Uh, uh, what I did was, um, I, uh, basically, by the way that the, the database is set up, I had to go and use an entire state because um, Buffalo was mixed in with New York City. Um, so I couldn't just pick out a few because I don't know where all these towns are, you know? Um, so I figured, well, let me just work on the whole thing. I'll go from 2011 um, and um, to the present and see what I see. Um, that's when I saw my first map of New York State and what that was telling me and how indicative the water happened to be um, for the whole scenario. That's right. what got started on the whole rest of the eastern coast. Right. So, so I, I, I have your map up, and I can see that, that if, if and as anybody's ever seen your map, um, there, it seems that the waterways around the state of New York have a heavy presence of objects. That's fair. Yeah, um, but then again, you have to you have to consider that the waterways have towns on them, and there's a lot of people there, and they're the ones most likely to see things in the sky. So you really have to take both into account. Um, is there something really unusual about that particular spot um, versus another town? Um, or is it just um, just population related that, uh, you know, people are th seeing things in the sky and many times even misinterpreting what they're seeing? becomes very very confusing right it does and and that's that's something that everybody has to kind of figure out for themselves because you know uh, if if you're not aware of what's flying in your area let's say um and you're you're not really sophisticated enough to know the difference between planes and sometimes actually satellites 
which there are normal public satellites or, or known satellites. And then there's actually a great satellite put out by the U.S. Navy. It's actually three satellites, and they, f they, they fly in a triangular pattern, mind you. Um, and if you see this thing moving in a triangular pattern, the first thing you're going to say is, oh, my God, that's, that's a triangle UFO or whatever. But um, I'm going to tell all those wannabe UFOologists, um, one of the apps you need to get is a satellite app that will tell you what's over your location at that point. Some of them even will tell you when there are uh, secret military satellites and their flying positions. So given that uh, into consideration, how did you break down these sightings? I mean, there's, you know, there's usually like a round, triangle, obelisk, uh, uh, um, you name it. Did you, it was there a, a method to the madness? And I'm sure going back as far as you went, you probably had to have a big map. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, well, there's several questions in there. Um, I struggled with how to identify things on, on the map. I also struggled with um, I wanted to go back as far as I could uh, from all, the, all of the sighting reports, and many of them started back in the 50s, and give a historical uh, perspective on what's being seen through the years. Now, when you look at the database, there might be up to 50 different types of things seen in the sky. Many of them are similar. Um, many of them are sort of close, and some of them just have no relationship to anything else. So I came to the conclusion that I've got to be able to put this stuff onto one graph so that people could see what's happening in this one graph and they don't have to compare 30 of them. Because if they have to compare 30 of them, right. you're not going to. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, so, so if I could combine them all into one graph, all 50 different types, then um, I have something. I may be able to determine something from this. I didn't know if I was going to be able to, but I had to try it. So what I did was um, the things that were um, that were somewhat circular. I combined them all into spheres, right? Like circles and um, uh, um, eggs, and you know anything that's sort of roundish, like a bell shape too. Some of the bell shaped ones. Uh, well, bell not so much, right. but. Uh, Anything that sort of approximated round went to a category called spheres. Then I had triangles, which were basically only triangles. And I had fireballs, which were basically only fireballs. Um, and then I had um, shapes. Now, under shapes, shapes was a catch-all. <laughs> so shapes caught the ones that didn't fit the round uh, right. A triangle or a fireball. Yeah, like um, like a bell. Okay. okay. Or right. um, uh, something rectangular. Ah. Uh, what do you call that? You know. Yep. Um, and there's also some things that that were um, seen that um, only happened several times. So I stuck those into shapes, an odd shape. Right. Um, and then there's discs, the prototypical flying saucer. Right, you're, you're a prototype. <laughs> yeah. um, and let's see, disc. Uh, 
I don't know if I, that's all of them or not. Um, but now, I, all of these into um, seven different categories and combine the numbers. Right. Oh, so so actually, um, I'm going to try to describe the map. So it's a, it's a, it's a map of the U.S. And actually, Tom, you do sell these maps, correct? Yes, I do. Okay, and we'll get the website for you to sell where where you can pick one of these up as well. Um, and I'm sure if they buy through you, you possibly could autograph it for them. <laughs> I'm just throwing the autographs. I don't mean to give you extra work, Tom. <laughs> um, but what, what, what I'm looking at, when you're looking at this map, there's push pins in there, basically. And there's, there's basically two types. There is a small, round, uh, colored ball. And then there's the, I, I call it the top hat uh, push pin, your typical, atypical push pin, which is a lot larger. What's the, di the significance between those two shapes and sizes? I mean, those two sizes. Okay. Um, now, I knew that uh, by doing just the New York map, that I was going to have one heck of a lot of pins in this map that I yes. just wouldn't be able to, um, to accommodate all seven types of sightings. So I picked the three largest. I got you. Triangles, fireballs, and spheres. And... Only those appear on the map. Um, now, are they also the most prevalent, by the way? Yeah, the, yeah, okay. they are the most prevalent. Um, the small pins equal one sighting. The great big pins, the great big push pins, equal 20 sightings. Wow. Yeah. Well, when we go out west, then um, it turns out that there were so many, I had to make... Uh, uh, three different colors and make them equal to a hundred sightings. So, so now the, the larger ones are equal to a hundred sightings. No, the, um, only certain colors of them. Oh, only certain colors. Okay. Yeah. I had to change the, change the color. It was red, black, and yellow. And I made the large pins red, black, and yellow would equal 20. And then I had three other colors, which were white, blue, and orange, I think. Right. And um, those are 100. Oh, my God. What, what do you think? Just yeah. uh, We'll get back to New York in a second. But why do you think some areas have over 100 sightings versus, you know, 20 or, or, or 80? You know, uh, taking the, the larger pins into consideration. Okay. What, what do uh, you th have, you have you kind of figured out or determined or came to a, a, a logical not a conclusion, but a really good hypothesis of why there's 100 sightings here versus 20. Okay, well, the number one city in the U.S. for sightings is Los Angeles. Um, they have a whole bunch of odd-colored pins on them. And um, that I believe that that's because of the, um, off of Santa Catalina Island, I believe that there's some underwater involvement. I'm not saying there's a base but there's something going on there. And, and if I'm correct, and I go back to the maps that I've studied, there is something that is pretty large under the water. You can actually see it through Google Earth um, if you yeah. go in there. And it's significant. I mean, like, it's significant. Yeah, this it is. is massive. Uh -huh. So that would roughly gel with where we are on, on, on the map. Um, and so that, that's a great conclusion, actually, right there. Okay. Well, that, uh, that's one of them. Mm -hmm. Now, inland from there, straight inland, um, is Phoenix. Yes. Phoenix is the number two city in the country. And I think that Phoenix happens to be 
a really interesting uh, place because, number one, it is still very close to the ocean. Also, it's very close to the mountains. And in those mountains, if I'm not mistaken, there's uh, um, some some uh, thoughts of underground bases. Yes. You, uh, uh, well, accordingly, yes. I would say yes to that because that's the theory behind it, and that's what's been kind of out there, that there are certain bases that within the mountains. Now, mm-hmm. um, giving consideration to the water as well as the mountains, uh, do, you, do you find that any, anything relating to, be it military or, or civilian, nuclear base material? Nuclear bases having more sightings, uh, let's say, than not? Um, they do have occasional sightings. Now, the nuclear bases that got the most attention were the ones that had ICBMs on them. Right. Um, uh, the bases that uh, just have um, the weapons that they load onto bombers, not so much. Um, but these are the um, un- underground ones. Uh, yeah. The, now, the underground, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have a correlation between the military bases and underground bases other than what may be in Arizona and um, Eastern California. Right. Uh, however, there are um, a lot of air bases that have some tremendous attention. Um, one of them is in uh, it's uh, Wright-Patterson in Dayton. Right. And there's a one or two in Florida and there's one or two in... Um, California and Washington State. Yeah, you know, it, um, th- there's always been some kind of correlation between nuclear bases and nuclear facilities. Um, even Indian Point has had a, a couple. There was actually, I, I just was talking to my uh, my partner in crime, Al Santariga. He was uh, referred to one of his friends who kind of worked in the area near uh, Indian Point, and um, the, the the topic of UFOs came up, and he goes, "Oh, they're real." And they, he asked, well, why, why do you say that? He goes, well, I've seen them. And they're not just in the sky. They're in the water. So, um, and I think a lot more USOs actually are uh, prevalent than UFOs uh, because it's easier way to transport and uh, without being seen for the most part. But he, he, he stated, and I don't know the gentleman's name, but they stated that he was literally there standing outside and he actually watched craft uh, entering as well as exiting uh, the Hudson River and traveling yep. a distance, you could see that you could see them traveling from a certain point and then they disappeared. Um, so, and these are large craft. And what surprises me is when something of that that nature comes out of the you know something that size comes out of a water. There's got to be a wake that it makes, and it has to set off some kind of alarm system someplace. So I'm surprised we're not getting. You know, you know, reports of like, and another alarm was was set off by near nuclear, you know, like near uh, Indian Point. But um, because of these crafts of the where they are, do you do you ever take consideration the fact that in the California area there, uh, the San Andreas Fault, and then also the uh, I forgot what the uh, Pacific Ridge is over there. That's pretty been. It's actually been very active as of late because of between Alaska and and what's going on in Hawaii. Do you think that that Maybe the energy or, or what's taking place with those uh, earthquakes uh, has anything to do with it as well, being such a yep. hot spot. 
Okay, were you referring to the Ring of Fire? Oh, I'm 100% referring to the Ring of Fire, but currently, okay. cur currently, um, I'm talking uh, on the, the west coast of the U.S., near Los Angeles, and, I mean, if you go, if you just look at the, the map between Alaska and the Aleutian Islands, all the way down to what's going now in Hawaii, and if you look at your map, um, actually, it's, I'm surprised the Big Island hasn't, hasn't had as many as, uh, uh, I think it's Maui, that really picks up a lot of them. Um, but you think there is a correlation with between the Ring of Fire and UFO sightings? Um, yes, there is. Um, there's a lot of interest, but I think where they're the most interested um, is where the um, where the uh, um, subduction plates uh, are the most active. Right, and that would be closer to the Los Angeles or California. Uh, you'd be surprised. I think it's a. Um, I think the reason why Washington uh, and Oregon coast is yep. so involved is because of the subduction zone that is about 50 miles off right of the coast. coast. Yep, um, um, right there, and there's a whole lot of activity there. As a matter of fact, Washington is one of the one of the areas that garnered most of my attention when I was putting this map together. Well, it's, it's, and it's a very strong reason to, because of the subduction zone, because of the earthquakes, Mount St. Helens, and, and all this other stuff taking place there, it is, I mean, I, w I can only imagine, I haven't looked at the reports lately from, from any one of the, uh, the main bodies, um, but I'm, I'm sure they're coming in a little bit more in those areas because of the, of the seismic activity that's taking place and the potential for um, that that air, that shelf to go and causing a really really bad deathly uh, he heinous uh, situation. I mean, wow. we're really at that point where we're within the the, the time frame year wise for something a big event to happen. Uh, we absolutely are. Uh, we're, we're overdue for a nine. Oh uh, yeah, and um, it seems that the plates are just slipping little bits at a time creating little earthquakes um i suspect that it's just a matter of time before there's a major slippage and we get some real problems out there it's it's and it's not only going to affect uh, washington and oregon i mean it's really going to go down the whole west coast i mean I, I gotta be honest, people. If you're in Nevada and Arizona and parts of it, you may have beachfront property soon. And yeah. I, I'm, I, and I'm not. I'm kind of. It's a little bit of a, on a joke side, but it's also very serious. The, the, there's there's a lot going on right now in the Ring of Fire that is pretty scary. Um, although uh, Hawaii is kind of lightened up a little bit, but that would be a test if if there's there's there also that portion of uh, just going into hawaii for a split second um that area on the uh eastern coast of hawaii where if that goes i mean they could have a major problem oh yeah and that uh, that alone is going to create a tsunami it's going to devastate the west coast mm -hmm. um now um one of the things that bothers me the most scares me the most i guess is um in uh, oregon and washington there is a whole lot of um, uh, quiescent uh, volcanoes. Yes. And, um, and they're uh, getting active. Yeah, and they were set up um, thousands and thousands of years ago 
when um, when there were major subductions going on in the plates, and it's just a matter of time, I think, when we have a major subduction out there, that it takes a couple of these um, uh, uh, bigger volcanoes and lights them off, and may even include Yellowstone. Yeah, you know, Yellowstone's been extremely active. There's a fire going on right now uh, in that area. I think they, they evacuated the park the last couple months or last month or something to that or something. Yeah, last month. And someone actually said that there, a fissure opened up and there was a fire in it. Now, they're, they're, the official statement, I believe, is um, forest fire. But there's a couple people coming out of there say look, there's a big hole in the ground and there's fire coming out. And for me, that's, that's volcanic. Um, I, I hope for any, everybody's well-being it's not but you got to understand it's a super volcano, which you understand. Um, it could just become a domino effect, and that's the worst-case scenario. Um, but, you know, going into the last couple of months, um, when I, I asked earlier before, uh, before the show if you, you were at Pine Bush and you weren't because it conflicted with uh, New Jersey at the time. They did do it a little bit later on, and one of the presenters there I think you're familiar with is Cheryl Costa. Um, I know Cheryl very well. And, and Cheryl's great, and um, she does fantastic research along with you. You guys do amazing research. You really get into the nitty-gritty of it and really drill down, and what I love it. What I loved about Cheryl, though, is, um, is she drilled down, and she got a lot of these reports, and, and let me tell you, Tom and Cheryl, a, a lot of this isn't copy and paste, you know, Oh, I <laughs> you know that, and Cheryl yeah. knows that because she she gave a, a heck of a presentation, um, and she was like, "We spent a, a days, weeks, months going hand by hand." But what I liked about it was she drilled down into the county level, um, which is very significant and huge. Um, I do disagree with, and she proposed at one point that there's been a, a drop off in UFO settings. If I'm correct, as of late, yeah. And, and one of the things Cheryl proposed, and I didn't get a chance because I literally was doing, I did four events up there. We were presenting, we presented four times, and then we actually had a CE5 event where we did actually get a craft. Um, but so I had to, get, I had to leave uh, where she was presenting later in the afternoon, that, that evening, to get over to our location. But one of the things, and I'm, I'm going to call her up and I'm going to talk to her about it. I'm sure she's going to hate me. <laughs> but um, she, she attributed a lot of the, the down... The, the, the loss of, of reports to cable TV, not everybody having cable TV in their house. And being a, a finance guy and a statistics guy and, and you know, whatever, I think that's, that's definitely in the chaos theory. You would put that into an equation as a chaos, but I don't think that is really the, the reason behind it. Do you, do you, I, I, I propose at one point, uh, we, you had, uh, Cheryl posted something, and I propose... Do you think there's anything going on, and do you look into astronomical events that may account for the drop-off? Um, uh, well, um, remember I mentioned before that I thought that uh, certain of these crafts are doing some sort of a... Survey. Survey or something along these lines, yep. a, a, a scanning. Um, and I believe that they're done. So, so basically, they've surveyed, they're done, they're bringing back their, their data, their information into whoever yep. it may be, 
and they're going from there. So that you know that would be logical because if you if you know let's put it into a perspective where the layman can understand. You know, Google Earth is great, but Google Earth doesn't do it. You know, all the time they take it bits and pieces, and over a, a time frame of maybe three years, they'll go out and they'll survey, and then once the three years are up, they may go out and survey again. I um, like these craft or these aliens or, or, or extraterrestrials. Um, they go out to get their information about our planet. And yeah, they could be doing a, a survey of, of what's going on, the ge geographical changes, um, Earth changes, and then they compare it to you know, what they had previously. So that's a great theory. Um, I, I actually can buy that more so than you know, um, other people saying, oh, you know, they're done with the planet or something's going to happen or whatever. Um, yeah. One of the things that I liked about, uh, um, and, I'm, and uh, when Cheryl was talking, and I don't know how, what your feeling is, she did relate, she started using astronomical information, uh, alignments, and she was finding that in certain areas during certain astronomical alignments, um, there were more sightings. So that's why I proposed maybe the drop-off is uh, what we don't know is taking place outside of our planet, you know, within our solar system. Maybe there's a certain event where the sun usually at, at certain points over a certain period of time uh, ejects uh, so much energy that it's actually a, a danger for these crafts to go into. So that's, that's where I was looking at it um, on that angle. But I like what you were saying, though. They're done with their, their survey. Let's move on. Um, do you have Cheryl's book? I don't have it. No, I don't have it. Uh, Okay. Uh, not at all. Uh, um, in her data, what she has is um, she labels each each particular state, and like you said, she goes right down yep. to the uh, county level. But she also shows how many sightings happen year over year in these particular states. Right. And not every state had a... Uh, had a had a spike, or had a um, um, a serious drop off at the same time. That's why I personally think that they are working on a on a uh, survey survey kind of thing, and they're in certain areas at certain times, and that's why you get the peaks in those areas, and then they move to a different area, and the numbers drop off. That's that is genius. That is so genius beyond belief, and and that's amazing thinking. I, I, I'm, I'm clapping right now for you. I don't want to make too much noise yeah. because that is genius. Because that does jive and and and, and correlates to the drop off. We're done here. Let's move on. We're done here. Let's yeah. move on. Wow, I, I wasn't even thinking of it at that level. I was thinking differently out of the box when I should have been thinking semi out of the box. Um, that that's pretty cool. Now, um, getting back to these craft and 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 these races, um, you know, one of the questions that I, I had um, for you is, and and we're gonna get into it as, um, you think there is life in this universe, but where do you think it goes? Is it just our universe, or do you think there's life that's coming to us from the trillions of universes that surround us? Okay. Um here, um, that, that's probably the number one question that I'm asked um, just about in every single 
thing I go to. Uh, I'll, I'll give a long presentation about UFOs. <laughs> People stand up and say, do you think there's life in the universe? Well, where do you think they come from, pal? <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. anyway, um, I um, uh, have this have this little um, uh, concise presentation, and I, I, I try to put numbers onto our universe. And it's kind of hard, but see if you can follow along with what I do. Um, sure. Uh, we all uh, know that we live in the, in the Milky Way galaxy. It's about an average-sized galaxy. It's anywhere between two and 400 billion stars in our galaxy. Every star that we've seen to date has probably in the area of two planets around it. That's what we can see. Right. Or, or surmise um, uh, based on the data. I believe that most of them have packed solar systems with all kinds of planets. Now, 400 billion stars, let's say that the Milky Way is an average-sized galaxy. Um... There's over two trillion galaxies. So if you want to find out how many stars are in the universe, basically what you would do is, well, excuse me, in the visible universe, what you would do is you take the average number of stars in the Milky Way, which is 200, 400 billion, let's call it, and you multiply it by how many galaxies are out there, which is two trillion. Right. You come up with an eight with 23 zeros. <laughs> Um, now, virtually every one of them are going to have planets in the, um, in the Goldilocks zone around the star where water would, would sit in a liquid level and um, life could start. Well, that's, the planets are not even the number one, um, um, uh, the number one housing area uh, for life to start, I believe that moons are. And you know how many more moons there are in our universe than there are planets. Right. Yeah, you see, in our, in our solar system. Well, it's the same everywhere. All these things are, are being created everywhere. Um, and um, the, the, uh, um, the uh, atmosphere... It, it can uh, collect around anything. It can collect around a moon just as well as it can collect around a planet. And um, it's also possible for an asteroid to house life. So there's all kinds of opportunities. Now, let's just say that there's a one in a million chance with a million stars, one in a million right. chance for a um, for a, a civilization to start. Well, that would mean that there's eight with 17 zeros behind it, civilizations. That's, a, that's a large a, number right there. Yeah, uh, let's say it's one in a trillion, all right? As uh, 12 zeros. Well, you take 12 zeros off of 23, and you have an eight with um, 11 zeros after it which is 800 billion civilizations. That's yep. for one in a trillion stars. There's so many civilizations out there, it's, it's just larger 
than any human can think. And and Are you know, we alone? no, we're not alone. Yes, yeah, I never thought we were alone to begin with. But you know, yeah. what, what you have to put into perspective is, you know, they always talk about the Goldilocks zone, but they're talking about the Goldilocks zone specifically for human beings. And whatever creatures are, are found within our Earth. And that's fit and suitable for us. But, you know, if you go into Jupiter, uh, they, you know, everybody always points to Europa. But actually, Ganymede is a better suit for us as human beings. So that Goldilocks zone gets a little bit bigger. Um, yep. And then let's, t- let's get a little bit crazy here. Let's go into the fact that there may be reptilian-based people. Uh, or entities, or as they say, praying mantis, or whatever. You know, just because it's very self-righteous for us to say, well, we're humans and we're better than everybody. No, there actually may be races of, of, of aliens or, or beings that are reptilian, and they need certain other qualities that we don't need as human beings to live. Um, there are, there are reptilian, uh, reptilians, there are, are, are praying mantis. You don't know what these creatures are. So if you take that into consideration and you just you dub, just keep doubling it every time, then you open up the possibilities on top of what you just said about the 800 trillion, you know. It's the potential for life to be out there is huge. Um, we may not want to admit it. We may not want to, to see it or, or understand it. It's scary for some people. Um, and people just don't want to talk about it, especially with those that have abductions. But getting back to what everybody is always kind of following that question of do you believe that life is outside this planet, do you think that E.T. is preparing us for an invasion? No. Not at all. Um, here's why. Um, if they wanted to mess with us, like take over our planet, it would be so simple for them mm-hmm. to just figure out a couple of viruses, send them down, wipe out 90% of the planet, and then have their way with us. They wouldn't want to mess with our militaries and, and the, 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 the thought that maybe we're going to get in a lucky shot with a nuclear weapon. Right. They wouldn't mess with us. They'd just wipe us out and then come in and take it. Yeah, and you know, and I agree with you. I mean, it's kind of like, um, and we're going back into the paranormal zone, uh, everybody's always saying, oh, it's, 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 de- it's demonic. And I try to explain to people that if you, if you just take in the, the theory of demons, um, they don't play around. They don't have to play around, and they're not going to play around. Um, you probably just have a spirit that wasn't nice or, or, or is pissed off the, the real life, and when they pass on, they're still upset. Um, but taking consideration of, of a super intelligence that has the capability of traveling and craft they've, they've, they've devised, that far exceeds our, our, our technology and our, our vehicles, uh, without even thinking about it, it's, it's literally kind of like going into the savannas of Africa and just nuking it. They can yep. do it at any point in time. They can put troops on the ground. It's just, why do we want to bother with it? Um, there are other people that say, and I don't know what your theory is, uh, going back to the Sumerians and the Egyptians, that they're here, or select select groups are here, and they help us out over time. Um, they give us the tools to help us out based on the time period. Uh, uh, there's there's a, you know, if you look at uh, the throughout history globally, 
and and you go to you know the Aztecs, they talk about these beings from from the stars. The Egyptians talk about it. Um, almost every culture has some kind of story with that. So would you think that they're more here as not advisors, but they're, they're just helping out here and there, and maybe you know tweaking our, our society to to point us in a better direction? Okay. Um, now, in um, let's, let's talk again way back in history. Um, the last great flood on the earth, and the flood did happen. Um, it, it wiped out the greatest majority of um, uh, human life, and there was just a, just little spots of um, uh, humans around. And um, in particular, the um, um, humans were like driven way back to the ice age and didn't have the skills to uh, survive. And the aliens who were on the planet at that time knew that. And they came and they gave us basic skills on how to live, uh, creating fire, hunting, various things like that. Now, these aliens, um, the, the, the stories of them were passed down, um, especially through a certain Native American tribes from father to son. And the, the stories especially uh, were of these, these aliens who came out of the water and were half man, half fish. Well, if you find out through um, um, the other locations around the world that the, the Dogon tribe in Africa describes somewhat the same thing. Uh, a half man, half fish. The uh, Sumerians uh, um, from Iraq and Iran, they're describing the same thing, as are the Hindus and the Australian Aborigines. And uh, there's also some stories out of South America. These all describe the same kind of beings, half men, half fish. Well, what were these people seeing? They were seeing a craft that came out of the water and human or people came out of the, the craft. So the people that are seeing this think, well, they, they're men because we're looking at them, so they must also be half fish because they can live under the water. Right. That's where these stories come from. And um, the, uh, the uh, uh, stories are repeated across the entire world from all in the exact same time frame right after the last flood when there was only just little spots of civilization around. Um, and, it, it's, and, and it begs the question, um, this, could this attribute to the mermaid tales that we, we hear globally? I mean, there's, there's, there's water charts uh, through different cultures uh, over different time periods, and they all describe what would be called a, a mermaid, let's say. But technically, maybe were they seeing these crafts that come out and... You know, it's a good assumption. If they came out of the water, so they must be fish, uh, but they're men or, or humans, so they're man fish. Um, do you think that that's what helps lend to the legends of, of these cryptids that are out there? 
Um, I think the cryptid things are a little bit different. Um, there are some very unusual beings that are walking the earth now. Um, and uh, I, I don't know where to put them into any particular classification. Yeah, I think a lot of people put them in Washington, D.C. Um, <laughs> that's my little, my little take on, on what's going on there. But no, I, I agree with you. But what, I, uh, what, what you gather from that, and it's a, it's a great, you know, after the Great Flood and all these, these different cultures are reporting this, what do you think, do you think there's a, a larger percentage of USOs versus UFOs? And do you think that if, if there are submersible uh, USOs, what do you think is going on within our oceans? Okay. Uh, wow, there's a lot of questions in there. Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> Take your time. Um, the, uh, um, as far as the, the um, civilizations that are visiting the Earth, I think that a lot of them utilize the water because it was easier for them. Um, all they had to do was just go under the water and assemble a couple of ships, and they had an, uh, had an instant home. Uh, and they adapted over the years, and they became really good at it. However, I also think there's other aspects of uh, the ships that fly around that enter the water, enter lakes, rivers, all kinds of things like that. I think that there's a technical reason for them to do that. I believe that there's a lot of ships that, um, uh, even though they're greatly advanced from us, they are creating enormous, and I do mean enormous amounts of power. The best way to control um, the aftermath of uh, creating power which is heat, is to go underwater and dissipate the heat. Right. And I think that's a lot of the reason why um, uh, crafts enter the water just everywhere. Cooling down. And also, I mean, if we get into the cold fission aspect of things, um, water is a huge fuel source. Uh, true, yep. You know, so that, that works out well. Do you also think... Um, Given the fact that they probably have mapped our, our ocean floors and and and, the, and they have the ability to withstand that pressure, do you think there may be certain spots within the planet globally um, through these lakes that they actually connect to other waterways and they've just figured out a way to get to them? So, uh -huh. yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's very interesting. Um, in my second book, um, uh, uh, they are here, volume two. Yes. I, I threw out a theory that um, there's a tremendous amount of sightings uh, out of Lake Michigan. Yeah, I know. We saw that. on. The, I, I, it'll be on the map. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there's also a tremendous amount of sightings out of Lake Erie. Now, they aren't that far from each other. I can't help but wonder if there's just an underground tunnel or something uh, between the two. Yeah, I mean, and that's a great theory because, well, first of all, um, you know, take consideration the land masses that are around them. There has to be a way, uh, long before, you know, we were here when, when the, the, the planet was one giant, you know, land mass before the, the uh, continent split up. I mean, there must be something that has to be a, a tunnel system or some way to connect them. Uh, it's, it's, I would think 
no other way. No other way would exist. Um, yeah, and you know, it's it's been theorized that as far as the actual underground tunnels um, uh, that are that are talked about out west um, are throughout the entire United States. Um, there was some talk that um, the tunnel in um, uh, supposedly in Arizona um, uh, extended up towards Utah and out towards um, an area in North Carolina with a tremendous amount of sightings in Western North Carolina. And at one point, someone, and I don't know if this is true, but someone even theorized that you can go in a tractor trailer, uh, enter the tunnel in Arizona, and come out in Boston. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of talk about that, and there's also it recent uh, recent years a lot of booms taking place, um, yep. and some people that are in in the in this field in this genre, be it uh, paranormal or ufology, um, are surmising that these are are there's, a, there's supposedly a train system that goes there, high high speed train system. Um, one of the one of the things that kind of throws me though is I'm looking uh, looking at your map. Um, why around the Mississippi region and, and up, there is a fault line there for the most part. Um, the waterway, and just using the Mississippi River, uh, there, there are a decent amount of, of sightings there, but not as much as if you go due east in the, uh, the Carolinas and Virginia and, and that area. You know, I, I know that those areas actually have a lot of tunnels in there. Uh, due to the rocks, so I, I think this tunnel system and them being able to navigate it is is a valid uh, uh, hypothesis. Yeah, um, the the one thing that I thought was pretty interesting was um, North Carolina. In the western area of North Carolina, in the Asheville area, there um, there's talk that. There's an underground base there, and the ships are seen entering the mountains, and um, actually the mountain opens up and the ships go in. I don't know if that's true, but there's a website um, that's dedicated to these kinds of sightings, and the website's called Skyships Over Cashiers. And right. That's something that I think if you haven't ever seen it before, you really should pay attention to it. Um, oh, the uh, girl who wrote um, that webpage, um, I have two of her books, and I'm going to be interviewing her for uh, anomalies throughout the United States, and that's one of the big ones that I'm going to be talking about and in a future book. That, that's an interesting spot. Is that what the, I think the brown mountain lights uh, kind of hail in that area? Am I, I I'm correct? Yeah, I think so. It's it's very it's a very interesting that I I can't wait to hear and and read more about that and we'll definitely put her her books on um uh, what do you call it uh, our website and just, just so so people can actually get to it and read a little bit more about it we're all about sharing the knowledge and the information um, that's one of the things that I do as a researcher of the paranormal um, and and ufology. Um, we we are very much about sharing our research because I personally find that there's too much secrecy going on. 
even with some of these organizations, and I think that that also aids in the drop off of the reports. I think a lot of people would are just are are believers. They just don't care about UFOs. But also, I don't think some of these agencies have kept up with their credibility. I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying that of the 100% that work specific, I'll just point out to MUFON, I think at one point they were 100% all in and all going for the same thing. But there's been so much politics going on there. I think you really have lost a lot of credibility. And and there are still a bunch of people that I know personally that are really looking for answers. But I think people have has a bad taste in their mouth. And that's why I think some of the drop-off of reports, because who cares? Uh, yeah, it's a UFO, move on. Um, <laughs> but but um, that's an interesting uh, um, uh, point of view. And I definitely want to hear what happens after your interview, though. And you're welcome back anytime to our show. Um, to Let's discuss. Yeah. And I think we, we need to have a UFO roundtable. I think we get you, Cheryl, and, and a couple of the biggies there, that not only with UFOs, but, you know, that have... Other information leads to more information. Um, so getting back to, to our, our, our lovely area of New York State, the Empire State, and the East Coast, I, I, I'm just floored at all these sightings that are there. Um, do you think it's a, a lot of it is because of population, or do you think it's also because of it's just the thoroughfare of the Atlantic Ocean? Well... A little of both. First of all, there's an awful lot of people that live there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, <clears throat> many of the people <clears throat> will see things in the sky that um, they don't understand. <clears throat> Excuse me. And will uh, call it in as a UFO. And it may or may not be. That accounts for a certain portion of them. But then again, there are some sightings there that you just can't put words to. Those are the ones that really interest me. Um, yeah. With, with the National UFO Reporting Center, they have, um, they have a link off of every single sighting that will give you a long description of what's being seen. Um, sometimes the people don't fill it in. For the most part, they do, and it really is revealing what these people are seeing. And the reason it's revealing, uh, it's revealing for multiple reasons. Number one, when you read all of these reports, and there's about 75,000 of them, when you read the reports, you get a good picture about what might be going on in the skies above us. Um, this would lead somebody like me to draw a conclusion that maybe they were being mapped or that there was a survey going on or something like that because these things are, are, are being seen almost in straight lines, east, west, and north, south, in um, uh, areas all up and down the East Coast. And um, they're the same kind of sightings and the same kind of thing being seen in the sky. And then, all of a sudden, they're not seen anymore there. Well, there's a reason for that. And that's probably because we're, we're being looked at carefully. 
I, I really, I'm really in love with the whole mapping idea and the surveying. I really that you know, it's it's. I remember in marketing they always said keep it simple, stupid. You know that kiss oh, statement, right. and this is the ultimate of keeping it simple, stupid. I think sometimes, and and I've been guilty of it myself. We try to make something bigger than it is, but the fact of the matter is we're being surveyed. You know, and what percentage, if if you if I may ask, and um, of through your research of the sightings you're getting, are there are there any reports of abductions? And and is there a correlation? No. 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 Um, I've never seen numbers like that. Okay. I was just wondering because uh, uh, you know, and and you know, and I know, it is a very tough subject to talk about if you have an abduction type experience. And I don't want to go in there. It's hard enough as it is for individuals to deal with what takes place. And I believe they are being abducted. Not everybody, but I, I believe there are people, I think the new term now is experiencers or something like that. But it's very difficult because that's the ultimate of there is no control. You cannot stop something from happening. Um, it's a violation of your personal space. And I think we need to respect individuals that are having this and give them a, a lot more leeway with them when they want to come out to, to talk about it. Just give them a little bit more courtesy. Um, because it is hard to deal with. I, in, in our group, the uh, New York State UFO Project, we try to create a vehicle uh, monthly and for, for people to get together, uh, like minds, where no one's going to ridicule you or give you a hard time, where you can actually just release that pressure valve of what happened. And you may meet other people that are having similar experiences, and that does help you to deal with things. But um, I was also thinking on something else, and and... Have you heard the theories about interdimensional travel um, as well as um, uh, people from the future traveling to the past and vice versa? That's what some of these objects are. And what do you, what's your take on that? Um, I'm not a fan of people from our future visiting us now. <laughs> uh, that, that, that doesn't, it doesn't do a lot for me. Um, I do believe that once we are able to time travel, that we'll be able to travel in time uh, forward. Right. But it just seems illogical to me that you can travel in time backward previous to the time where the, um, where the time machine actually exists. Right. It gets into a, a very scientific and technical terms. Um, yeah. That back to the future, when they go to the Wild West and he's driving around, it's like, well, you know, this is well advanced to this type of technology and it it's, it's almost seems like it's not possible. I, I could see if you have the, the, the materials in place at a certain point to create these type of, of machines, let's say, or, or, or allow this technology to take place. And you can go to that, that point. But I think going further back, like caveman time or something, I think it does, it is, is part of a stretch. But I, I kind of understand why people say that people go backwards in time to maybe right that wrong. You know, hindsight being twenty twenty. Um, you know, trying to, you know, like, if I only made the left, I would have been better off, you know, seeing that destination. So uh, getting... Forget about the time travel now. Let's talk about uh, uh, dimensions. 
and that's a huge uh, <laughs> uh, subject that's coming up between quantum theory and string theory and vibrations at different levels and and I, I don't want to get into the craziness but that whole Mandela effect where people remember one thing but it's not that anymore do you think that these there that we have beings or entities that are traveling from different dimensions to our dimension to maybe observe or do uh, mapping? Um, I think that's highly likely. Um, probably more likely that people from another dimension have found a way into our, our um, uh, uh, three handy dimensions um, and um, rather than um, a uh, civilization coming from across our universe to travel to us. Um, I think the interdimensional travel makes way more sense. And if you get if you get an extraterrestrial civilization, I believe that they utilize interdimensional travel to um, to um, travel to us and to travel to wherever it is that they may happen to be going. Right. I mean, it was one of the things I was thinking as, as part of interdimensional. Um, that, and th does that go also into parallel universe being interdimensional? Like, uh, like there's, uh, multiple, there's multiple versions of the Earth. It's just you're seeing it in different dimensions. You can see it in the ninth dimension versus the third dimension versus the 15th. And maybe there's certain things that are just a little bit off there. So they, they figure out a way to travel to our dimension to get whatever is needed to go back to their dimension. I don't know if that's true. That sounds more science fiction than, yeah, it, than actual uh, it, reality to me. Right. Um, no, I was just, it was just something that, that's, oh, it's been proposed by many people in this field. Uh, I don't necessarily subscribe to it. I, I, I do subscribe to, to uh, multiple dimensions, and I do subscribe to the fact that um, we're, we think we're knowledgeable, and some of the greatest minds of this world are, are very, very fantastic and great, and they've done some great things. But I think when you get into a scientific realm, what happens is you are you're almost pigeonholed into a certain mindset and oh that's not possible until somebody can prove something it's always about proving something <laughs> you know you have to experiment and prove it i think that's what the you know hydrogen the, the calder and and you know smashing atoms and creating uh antimatter and and whatever that is some has opened us up to the possibilities and opened our mind up to the, like stop thinking in the box what do you think are what do you, how do you think we're going to evolve to a higher dimension of thinking and getting on a better wavelength with some of these the manufacture of these craft and these races do you think that's something that's coming in the future okay i believe that the people that have been taken are um are being primed um, to be able to operate in uh, in a uh, um, um, higher manner, uh, and the people that seem to be taken very frequently come back from each event uh, more psychic than they used to be. Yep. And I think that what they're doing is they're actually. Uh, uh, being taught 
how to uh, vibrate the bodies at a different different frequency and be able to see um, the visitors. And I think that that's happening very slowly and um, it's going to reach a point where we are, uh, where the whole world, I think, is just going to switch over to a higher vibration. So that, and this lines up a little bit with what they've been talking about is disclosure. Um, my, my response to disclosure is, given the, the circumstances and the world we live in today, and I've always said this, I said, if I was the President of the United States and I had proof that UFOs existed and aliens have been visiting us, given what we have going on today, I was still would not release this information for fear of national security and the safety of our citizens. That's just my personal take. It's not that I want to keep the secret, but we're not living in a society where we are at a higher vibration. Do you think that will uh, that that vibration of vibrating at a higher level, where we're going to switch over? That's the that's the disclosure everybody's chiming for, or do you think it's 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 working in concert with people getting more higher dimension or or higher vibration? Um. Well, uh, um, I'm not sure how to answer that. <laughs> um, I, I, would, I would say that um, um, disclosure will include um, uh, having, uh, having us humans operate at a different vibrational level. And it will include us um, because... Of several reasons. Number one, we're being taught how to do that, and um, we have to wait until we all get up to the same level, or at least something reasonable, and um, then we'll have a disclosure. The whole the whole world will just switch over. Yeah, it's you know, um, it's really funny with dealing with a lot of people that are very interested in the subject matter through the different groups that we meet every once in a while and, and talking to some of the, the ex experts in the field like yourself and, and others that, that are, are well known. Um, everybody's chiming for disclosure. We need disclosure. Why don't we come with disclosure? And I'm trying to explain to people that disclosure is really, it's, it's, it's happened. It's, it happens on a daily basis. It's just we're not aware of the fact that it's there. Um, there are so many events that take place and so many different things. I mean, there, without them landing on the, you know, the, the lawn of, of the White House and saying, hey, uh, by the way, we're here, um, there are, are events that are coming out. The government is slipping out these things left and right, and I think they're trying to prepare us for an eventual change in, in the world. Um, but I don't think, you know, someone's going to get up to the president, especially the current one, and say, uh, you know, folks, um, you know, there's aliens and they've been visiting us and they're here and we really don't have uh, the power to stop them from doing whatever. But, you know, that's what's taking place. I don't think you'll ever see that. But when you see things about a space force, um, there's a reason for that. And it's not just coming from within the Earth. I think... We still have this animalistic type of behavior. Uh, we're always trying to just kill things, <laughs> you know, and yeah. and that's and that's a problem for these other races that have evolved. Um, another problem we have, and 
uh, I had a great interview with um, Derek Tyler. He's written a couple of books, and he's fantastic. Um, he's had he's been a, he's an experiencer. He's very knowledgeable on the subject. I recommend, and I'll, I'll try to send something your way or ask Derek if I could forward something to you so you could read some of his stuff um, if you're unaware of him. But you know, there's numerous races out there, and and of of all of them. Some of them are more sympathetic to us than others, but our main problem is we're way too emotional about everything. We make emotional decisions. We really don't make logical decisions. And that's part of our downfall, um, be it jingoism or, or nation, you know, national pride or, or whatever. And I think until we can... And I'm not going for one world government. I don't want to get into conspiracies because I don't want to go there. But I think we need to start evolving. We need, at certain points, I don't know if you feel the same, but we need an event that you see in the, usually in the movies that is threatening us all globally for us to finally say, put down our differences and actually resonate at a higher level and work together. Uh-huh. And do you, see, do you see that coming or, or something? Is that going to be the catalyst, you think, from these individuals that are being taken that we're going to get some kind of event maybe they're preparing us for something that possibly could be coming and having us realize we need to work together to deal with it wow it, it, it's possible that that will happen um i don't i don't know what's going to happen because i'm a, i'm a little uh, perplexed at how they're going about the um uh, disclosure thing uh, myself. Yeah, so I really don't know if the, if they're going to create a false flag so that we all have to rally around each other, um, or if they're going to uh, do this slowly and um, have us wake up a country at a time. I honestly don't know. I I don't get what they're doing, so. It's kind of impossible at this point to try to draw any conclusions from what I think they're doing because I don't understand what they're doing. Yeah, no, I was I was just asking, you know, because you 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 have amazing research and you have amazing amazing uh, hypothesis and with the mapping and and more. And I look forward to that, and I look forward to actually reading your books. And before we go, please, we will mention the 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 books you've you've written and your you know stuff you're working on. But it, it, I, I, I'm with you on that. I, I just can't wrap my head around it. And I don't know, you know, they use the term false flag for a lot of things and it gets into a really gray area. But I don't know if, I, I think we're getting to a point where we are wakening up and we're more uh, open to these, these type of, of experiences and UFOs. But I also think there's a faction within the world that doesn't want this to happen because it, they lose control at that point. And they, they, they're denying the fact that as individuals and human beings and, and, and species and entities, we have the right to our own direction, uh, but a better direction and not to be a slave to everybody. And that's getting to a gray, like, conspiracy area there. I don't like the way they're doing a disclosure at this point. Um, there's too many variables and too many flags that are popping up. Like, no, this is not right. There's something wrong about it. Um, but getting into the books that you've you've published, you have a, a, a three book uh, series. Can you yeah. please go into uh, that? I mean, we do have some time left. <laughs> okay. Um, my my first book, and I n- never actually wanted to write a book. I, I didn't start out writing books. What I what I wanted to do was do a little bit of research into UFOs, 
and come up with some interesting things to talk about as I love giving speeches. And that's all I was doing. I was yep. looking for speeches, looking for data for speeches. And um, when I did that New York map, um, um, I did notice a whole lot of ab abnormalities, well, at least what I thought was abnormal things within the map. Um, but at the same time, I was asked to do a talk in Philadelphia. And um, I prepared a map of Pennsylvania, uh, somewhat the same as the map uh, that I created for New York. And I saw the same kind of things that I saw in um, New York. So that's what got me interested. Wait a minute. What's going on here? Why is this stuff uh, uh, being seen in, in, in bunches? And where are these bunches occurring? And what are they doing when they're bunching into certain areas? So I decided to do the rest of the East Coast. I mean, it was a big decision. I said, well, uh, let me just do the whole rest of the East Coast. I hadn't done any other maps at that point except New York and Pennsylvania. So I did the whole rest of the East Coast, and um, my intent was to look at the uh, kinds of sightings historically to see what was changing over the years. And um, there were some things that I noticed, um, such as in the early years back in the 50s, that there was uh, many more uh, uh, UFO, um, excuse me, the uh, discs seen in the sky, like the flying saucers. And uh, then that number sort of dropped off as the years went on. And around 2011, with the discs almost down to zero, the fireball started up. So I don't know if one is the same as the other, uh, just hidden, or what the deal is there, but there's some tie-in between the two types. Um, so with, with the East Coast, what I did, um, it included a large portion of the Gulf of New Mexico, uh, the Gulf of Mexico. So um, I, I, I did that, I did the historical um, look-see, and um, put together a book. And I thought, oh, this is pretty interesting. Um, but I said to myself, there's still something missing here. There's something I'm not addressing. So um, when I started my second book, which was the Central U.S., I looked at things in a whole different, um, uh, a whole different way. What I wanted to do was um, create a map of every state, somewhat like I um, described to you that I did in uh, um, New York. Right. But I wanted to include three different kinds of things seen because as I looked through the databases, I saw things changing. I saw that the fireballs were only more or less around um, water. Uh, and as you got away from the water, you have more spheres and more triangles. So I had to include those three types 
And when I put it on a map, I started out with a great big U.S. map. Right. Um, that was problematic. Um, when I did that, then I realized, well, you know what? I really should go back and um, um, take the uh, uh, take what I was seeing in um, the central U.S. and fill in the entire rest of the eastern U.S. And when I started doing that, I mean, I my 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 writing ground to a halt because there was so much work going on. <laughs> And, um, but what I did was in, um, in a second volume, I looked at some things that were unusual. In other words, I tried to ask myself the question, why are they here? And answer that. Um, so I looked at things like, um, of course, the maps, um, visual reports in the states, um, repetitive reports in, in certain areas, cultural influences, like um, uh, such as indigenous peoples, uh, uh, Na Native Americans, the descriptions of their gods. Um, does it have anything to do with UFOs? Their beliefs involving creators and ancestors, archaeological findings, Native rock paintings and uh, burial mound sites. And uh, this was just Native Americans. Right. Well, started looking beyond that and thought, well, you know, once I get to the West Coast and earthquakes become important, I should at least look at the uh, at uh, earthquakes occurring in the central U.S. So I included earthquakes, and the big one that I included was pollution. Pollution is, is, a, is a good inclusion. One of the reasons I did that is because um, when I was interviewing people um, um, of their abduction, I asked them a general question. Is there anything that you were told by the extraterrestrials to come back and tell us? Now, were there any messages? Now, I thought I was going to hear everything under the sun. Right. <laughs> uh, because I allowed people to make stuff up if they wanted to. Do you know what? People were pretty honest with me, and only a half of the people said, yeah, you know, I actually did get a message. And they all gave me precisely the same message. And I thought that was unusual. And that message was, take care of your planet. Yeah. And it's it's so true though. Um, yeah. We as as a species, again, it's it's the let's you know shoot first, and ask questions last. We're doing a really good job of destroying this planet, and um, we're overpopulating. We're destroying it. We're destroying ourselves. It's almost like a slow form of suicide. And yep. and I'm I'm you know I always joke with everybody. You know, like, uh, why recycle? I mean, you know, we're not going to be able to do anything. Um, I play around that way. But it's the truth. It, you know, every little bit helps. And if, you know, you, you, you wouldn't, you know, crap on your rug in your house. So why are you going to crap on the place you're living, which is the earth? Mm -hmm. I think we need to take better, better, better precautions and, um, you know, stop worrying about the money and start worrying about, you know, great, what money can 
but you can't eat it and you, you know you can't breathe it so let's start looking to help us out yep um well in in, in addition to pollution i looked at drilling fracking um super fun sites um i looked at uh water quality um shale oil and gas fields um and if any of those are leaching um uh, because of poor fracking practices. Right into the aquifers. Yep. Uh, precious minerals. Um, then I looked at power plants. Nuclear, oil-fired, gas-fired, and especially coal-fired. Coal-fired are the most polluting. Um, and all of those things I tried to at least address and uh, search for information on every single state. I did not include that last stuff that I told you about on the East Coast, but I'm in the process of writing that now, and I'm going to include uh, uh, a volume one, two, and three's research all in one book. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, so that, that, that's one of the things I'm doing. But anyhow, um, once, I, once I was doing my map, I started noticing all these anomalies citing concentrations in areas that did not have large cities. Um, that was very interesting. Um, and that got my attention. And I, I, I looked into why those things were, were there, and I even got into some areas that they're there maybe because of, um, of uh, Native Americans. And I drew a couple of tie-ins between the central U.S. and Native American populations there, their prophecies and the end of the world. So yeah, I, I tried to hit everything I possibly, possibly could um, when I was doing my research. And, and it, it, that's fantastic. I, um, a lot of people discredit the indigenous people throughout this planet. And, but if you actually listen to all of them and you actually study them, and I've, I've actually studied them myself uh, in university, um, there is a common theme when it gets to the medicine men and, and the, 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 the prophecies. And it all is about if you don't take care of your mother earth, you're going, she's going to take care of you. Yep. And not in a good way. Um, and it's all the same yep. thing. We're... we're, we're there's so much here, and there's so much going on. It's it's insanity. I mean, I'm definitely gonna have to have you back if, if <laughs> at a later date. So we can go in. I have I have a ton of more more questions going on, um, and we, I want to go down to other venues. I want to go into the Native American side of it and and talk about it. But we're, let's let's get to making you some money. <laughs> um, where can uh, uh, people in our audience actually acquire your books and the map? Okay, well, the books are available through Amazon. They're also available on my webpage. Let me give you that address. Um, it's www.theyarehere-conwell, spelling C-O-N-W-E-L-L.com. Right, and so it's theyarehere-conwell.com. You can get... All the books, you can get Volume 1, which is They Are Here, East Coast UFOs. You can get Volume 2, They Are Here, Central U.S. UFOs, and Volume 3, 
Western UFOs. Um, also, uh, inter, uh, going interstellar, I believe, yeah. is yeah. there. And also, you get this beautiful map um, of, of, of all the sightings in the area. And I'm sure if you put a little note in there, say, hey, Tom, uh, can you sign it for me? Uh, I'm sure you'll give them a little autograph uh, with that uh, um, uh, on, on their purchase. And also, how can um, our audience, if they have questions or they want to add to your research or, you know, the people may be hearing this and saying, you know what, I, I got to talk to him. Um, how can they contact you? Okay. Um, let me give you my email address. That is, uh, now listen very, very carefully when I say this, because <laughs> sure. there's, a, there's a confusion thing here, okay? My email address is T-C-O-N-W-E-L number two. Not L-L, like my name is. Right. Okay. T-C-O-N-W-E-L two at N-Y-Cap. New York Capital, in other words, nycap.rr.com. Okay, so I'm just going to repeat it. It's T-C-O-N-W-E-L-2 at nycap.rr.com. And that's, that's the way where people can catch you via email. Are you also, you have a, I know you are on Facebook. Do you have any other presence besides Facebook? Um, I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Um, I hear you. also just so you know, um, on uh, our 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 web pages, it's uh, noboboomy.com, insidethegoblinuniverse.com. It's going to be in the show notes actually um, for this. You know his website, how to go and, and click on it. So go and subscribe to us uh, at uh, insidethegoblinuniverse.podbean.com. We're on everything you can think of, iTunes, Google+, we're Spotify, we're, we're on everything. So we're going to be there all the time. We're even on YouTube, and we're going to probably make a video. It'll be in the show notes there. It's also going to be on InsideTheGoblinUniverse.com website, as well as Novo Boomi's website, our Facebook pages. We're going to make sure that, that uh, the listeners that go out there and listen, they have access to you and your, and your information if they want to add to it. So know that to be true. Yes, we don't have a, we don't have time either. We're doing research as well, but the way I set up everything is once I publish, it publishes to every social media site. Um, but I'm definitely going to I got to pick up uh, some stuff from you. And I, again, when you come, are you going to be at any conferences? Love to meet up with you again and actually just chit chat a little bit more. Uh, but I'm sure some of our listeners will be. Okay, uh, the, the big conference that I have coming up is. Um um, Stargate to the Cosmos. That's in Albuquerque. That, uh, that's a little bit of a trip for everybody, but if you're in the yeah. Albuquerque area, um, yeah. what, what is that uh, taking place? The Stargate. Um, October. Let me get that date. October twenty. Let me see. What was that? Twenty fourth. October Columbus. October uh, 25th, 26th, 27th, and 28th. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. That's a, that's a big conference there. That's they, a big conference, yeah. yeah. Um, and catch them out there. And also, you know, it would be great. I just saw that they have a Star Trek cruise. And 
not to, uh, you know, I'm not hamming it up, but um, there's been a lot of time. I forgot who I was reading. I think I was reading Whitley Strieber um, where he may have mentioned or uh, one of the, the uh, other UFO uh, um, enthusiasts and, and researchers that Gene Roddenberry may have been, um, may have gotten this information to create this the Star Trek series um, by, we'll say, by help from them. But I think it would be kind of cool to actually have someone who researches it to be on some of these cruises. Those are great deals if you can get on them. Um, and it would be fun to actually do them. They do have paranormal cruises and, you know, and, and they have tarot card and, and that type of stuff on there. But I think something dedicated to UFOs and UFOlogy, especially you're in the middle of the Atlantic, what a great place to go looking for some something out of the ordinary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, I think it would be great. Um, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the program and staying with us. We're about two hours in and just talking and chatting with us. Your information is fantastic. Um, it's given me a new perspective on, on some things uh, and, and it enhances some of, the, of my research that I do. Um, I do it for my own personal um, interest as well. I've always done it, but uh, you know, I also like to share and I think it's fantastic what you do. You know, God bless you, and keep doing the work. And you're know that you're welcome on here anytime you want for anything. Even if you got like 15 minutes, say, hey, you know, can I get on 15? Like, you're you got the keys to the house, so you're always welcome. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed your time here with us. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to talking to your group too. Yeah, you know. Uh, once the group that we're, we we have is the the New York State UFO Project, and um, we're we just pretty much picked up from an older group, and we do have a lot of numbers coming in. We're getting some really good information and really good um, interest in us, and we're building up a, a a bigger base. And once we get to a steady flow of a significant amount, I definitely want you to come down. We're also having a, a do things as well via Skype, and I don't know if you're really into that, uh, but you know, there's there's a lot of friends of mine are, are globally that you probably know that would love to give some talks, and they just can't get across the pond. So we're going to be opening up to Skype type of presentations as well. Okay, but, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean, this way you don't you know you don't necessarily have to leave, but I'd love to be able to have you here because I'm sure there's anytime we've ever had. Uh, presentations in the past um, you, you bring some of your books or the maps and stuff um, they, they sell people love to buy this stuff they love to chit chat with you there's an intimacy there and I think you'll find um, a very warm reception by everybody so yeah. we'll work on that and get you down there from Troy uh, hopefully we can, it would be great if we can get somebody to drive you down there and make your life easier <laughs> I, I would I would like people to see the full size map here it's a 30 by 50 Yes, it's, it's really I've seen impressive. it. I've seen it at the at the uh, at the paranormal conference, I believe in Jersey. That's where you had it. It's it's incredible. Uh, um, it's definitely on on my list. It's going to be uh, a present. I'm going to ask the uh, the wife and the kids for it down the line. <laughs> so um, you know, and, and it's just, I know I'm going to get like, where are you going to put it? I'm like, I'll find a place. Don't worry, but you know, because it's such a large map. But again, thank you, Tom, for coming on. I'd like to thank everybody for listening, hanging in there. If you have any questions for Tom and you forget the email address or you forget that it's in the show notes and wherever we, you know, we post it globally, you can always contact us up 
at uh, InsideTheGoblinUniverse.com. There is a sheet there. There's a form. Fill it out. It sends us an email. If you want to ask Tom questions, if you have a, a, a comment, if you want to see somebody else on the show as well, we're welcome to the positive and the negative. We try our best to give you a, a very informative program, a fun program, and we want to do better. So, you know, really, you can hit us if you want. Uh, it, I'm all right with it. It just shows us what we're doing right and wrong. But again, Tom, thank you for coming on. You have a great evening and a great rest of the week. And I think we're going to be out. So have a good night and see you next week, everybody. Hey, this is Brian Bowden. I want to extend a deep thanks to Purple Planet. You guys rock. You're listening to Nobu Boomy, where we explore deep inside the Goblin universe. The opinions expressed on Nobu Boomy are of that of the host and his guests. Joining our impressive two-day 2018 conference lineup is our Redland speaker, the former deputy base commander of RAF Bentwaters, the man who went out to investigate a UFO sighting as a skeptic but returned as a believer. Making a welcome return to the UK specifically to talk at our 2018 conference, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Holt will be discussing the events surrounding the RFI and also his claims that the US authorities were continuing to conduct investigations into the UFO phenomena which have proven to be startlingly true and have recently been backed up by the announcements of film footage from the US despite years of so-called official denial or of any interest in the subject. Do not miss what will be the must-see event of 2018. Ticket information can be found at www.chris0597.wixsite.com forward slash outer hyphen limits hyphen mag. Join us on the 1st and 2nd of September 2018 at the Freedom Centre 97 Preston Road, Kingston-upon-Hull. Come be informed.